Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 16 tonight. Revelation 16. We're getting through. Hey, before we uh, get into our study tonight, just a couple things. Uh, One, I'm still in the afterglow of this past weekend, especially the baptism on Saturday night. Just, just awesome. Just great. Um, and just want to thank all those that stepped up to be baptized and again for Emery and Brenda hosting and just all the people that were there to rejoice and celebrate with those who were baptized that night. It was just a, it was just a great weekend. I also wanted to share, just thank you guys for your generosity. You know, at the Oasis, we never mention money or offering or anything. That box just sits back there. But Cindy told Lisa and I that this past Sunday, we had a $9,500 offering. Just, yeah. Just, just blows me away what God is doing through his people here. And then... I just wanted to share with you to continue to pray about our future home. Um, Just to let you know, we haven't forgot about that whole process. In fact, we're in the midst of it. Our building team actually went out Sunday afternoon after church. And uh, after we had lunch together, we actually uh, set foot on a couple pieces of property around here. Um, Two of them are just a little bit west of where we are now. And one of them is east of us. And um, we're just running out the details of all this. And if we have something that we feel looks like a viable option, we will certainly bring that to you for you guys to begin to pray about, to drive by and take a look at. And I must say, I'm excited about a couple of these pieces of property. So we'll see what, we'll see what God wants to do. It's certainly in his hands. And then finally tonight, many of you might know this just by coming the last three Sundays. This series on Romans is just shaking me up in a good way, but just, and this coming Sunday's message is just already weighing heavy on me. So I would just appreciate your prayers. I think God really wants to, and God always wants to do something significant with his people. But I think God wants to do something really significant this Sunday. Um, and I'm just praying whether it's some, just an individual that has a breakthrough on Sunday or whether it's us as a church or whatever that looks like, that God just will have his way on Sunday through this message from the book of Romans. Tonight, we come to really the last chapter of Revelation that really deals with these gut-wrenching judgments that are poured out on the inhabitants of the earth who have chosen to worship the beast. And yet, again, I'm looking at this study of Revelation from the aspect not so much of the prophetic events that have been declared by God, but more of looking at it from the God that we should be worshiping, who is behind it all. And so I want to do that again tonight. I I want us to see right away, probably even going back to even Sunday's message from Romans, 
And then even through our series in Revelation, one of the things that I think our God can be always worshipped for and praised for is that we know exactly where God stands with things. If we really want to know what God thinks about something or where He stands on a, a, an issue or a situation or whatever, He's clear about it. Just as we said Sunday, it's not that man doesn't have a knowledge of God, it's just what are we doing with that knowledge? Are we suppressing it? Are we applying it? Are we sharing it? Are we letting it shine? What are we doing with the knowledge that God is giving us every day? Whether it's through creation, whether it's through his self-revelation within, whether it's through the word of God. One of the things is clear. We should be able to always know that, that we know where God stands. And to me, that's, that's important because in our day and age, a lot of times we don't know where people stand. Sometimes maybe they don't even know where we stand. Sometimes we're even afraid to take a stand in the world in which we live. And yet God is very clear about where he stands on things and how he feels about that. And to me, that brings a real stability. That cuts away all the confusion. I don't have to sit there and like guess, like, I wonder how God feels about such and such. If I really want to know how God feels about something, what he thinks about something, how he stands on something, it's very clear. I, I, I need to just open up my heart and let that, let that knowledge come in. And we see that right away in chapter 16 when it says, I heard a loud voice that I think is the voice of God himself coming from the temple, declaring to the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. And what chapter 16 is all about again are these final bowl judgments that God is pouring out on those who have chosen to reject him time and time again, to reject his light, to reject his knowledge, and to bow down and worship the beast, the Antichrist, if you will, in this economy that we have here. The wrath of God poured out. Here's what I want to contrast that with tonight. Keep your finger in Revelation and go back to the book of Romans to chapter 5 and verse 5. Same Greek word used here in Romans 5 that's used in Revelation 16 where the beast worshipers are having God's wrath poured out on them. Notice for those who believe in Jesus Christ what we have poured out in our lives. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God, the love that God has for us has been what? Poured out. Into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Same Greek word. Though they are getting the wrath of God poured out on them, the Bible teaches us that God has poured out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And by the way, this word in the Greek language doesn't mean a drip. It doesn't mean a trickle. It means a raging torrent that just overflows. It is a reminder to us 
That if we are in tune and in touch with God at all, we should be through the presence of the Holy Spirit, knowing every day and being reassured just how much God loves us. And that we should be sensing that and feeling that every day. That goes back to even what John says in 1 John 3.1. He says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. 1 John 3.1 So, in contrast to what we see happening in Revelation 16, where yes, one day God's wrath is going to be poured out on those who reject Him. You and I have the privilege of having the love of God poured out. And these folks could have had the love of God poured out in their lives too. It's not that God did not choose them, it's they did not choose God. Remember as we said last week, and Stephen even touched on this again, that if you think through this just even as a logical human being, If there is no judgment of God, then that means there are no absolutes in the universe. And if there are no absolutes in the universe, then there's really no reality in the universe. And if there's no reality, then there's no meaning. The thing that gives meaning to the universe and to life, even as we know it, in the universe that God created, is that there is reality based on absolutes, And because there's absolutes, meaning there's a right and a wrong, that means there's going to be judgment. Because we've been introduced to a God who is worthy of worship also because he's holy. And because he's holy, though he's been very patient and and slow to come to this point in history, he has to come to this point in history at some time. If he doesn't, then he ceases to be a righteous, just and holy God, which is something we're going to be reintroduced to here in Revelation 16. So again, God's wrath is being poured out on the earth. The first angel went, poured out his bowl on the earth. Then ugly and painful sores, infected ulcers appeared on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. Next, the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a corpse. It was lifeless. And every living creature that was in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they turned into blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are just. You are righteous. You are upright. The eternal one, the one who is and who was, the holy one the undefiled, totally separate from everything He created because you have passed these judgments. The angel is reminding us that God is just. He's right in what He does because there is a right. And remember we talked about the fact that God's wrath can be defined as His passion for right. His passion for righteousness and I don't know about you, but again, I'm glad that God is passionate about what's right. Because we live in a world, even amongst those who say they believe in what's right, who seem very passive and complacent and indifferent about right and wrong. 
And maybe that's part of the reason of why our world has ended up at the place that it has. Because those who know what is right have at times failed to stand up for what is right. Well, God one day, the righteous one, will stand up for all that is right. And he should be worshipped because of that. The Psalms say, you are just, O Lord, and your judgments are fair. Psalm 119, verse 137. And notice that part of this righteous judgment is just simply to bring justice and vindication to things that have happened. Because the angel goes on to say in verse 6, because they poured out, speaking of the inhabitants of the earth who worship the beast, They have poured out the blood of your saints and prophets. They have butchered and slaughtered your people. And therefore, God is going to give them just what they deserve. Notice, so you have given them what is due, blood to drink. They got what they deserved. I want to stop here for a minute. This word deserved means what is befitting, what is appropriate, what has value equal to what they did. That's what the word means. And I want to stop for a moment because, again, we're in an attitude of worship here in Revelation. And I want us to think about, again, the contrast here. These folks are getting the wrath of God poured out on them. God has poured out on us His love through the Holy Spirit. These people are getting what they deserve because they chose to reject Jesus Christ and what He would do for them and what He did for them on the cross. You and I, we don't get what we deserve. Think about that. We should worship God every day because We never get what we deserve. In fact, I'd like to just throw two words out to you to to meditate on and contemplate on and even maybe look up some scripture over the next couple of days. The one word is mercy. And it's basically the concept that we don't get what we deserve. That's what mercy means. Grace is a little bit different. Grace is where God gives us what we don't deserve. So he's withholding what we do deserve, mercy. And in grace, he's giving us what we don't deserve. Wow. I mean, when you start thinking about his grace and mercy in our lives. Because again, we live in a world today where... Even in advertising, I don't know if you pick up on this, but there's a lot of even commercials and stuff out there today that appeal to people and they'll come up with like, you deserve this. You have a right to have this thing or that thing. It's like, wow, we've gotten so far away from God and so proud that we've gotten to a point where we think we deserve all this stuff. And we fail to remember what we really deserve, that if we have Christ, we're not going to get that. And then we start 
should start thinking about all the things that God gives us by His grace that we don't deserve. And then you go, wow, God, why am I not worshiping you and praising you all the day long? In fact, keep your finger in Revelation 16 and go back to Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, verse 41. Dealing with the crucifixion. And actually, I'm going to begin reading at verse 39. The reason I picked this is because this is the same Greek word used here that John uses in, in Revelation 16 when he uses the word deserve. When we get to it here in verse 41. So one of the criminals, Luke 23, 39... One of the criminals who was hanging there railed at Jesus, saying, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other rebuked him, saying, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Now here it is, verse 41. And we rightly so, for we are getting what we deserve for what we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Even the one thief on the cross says, Look, We're just getting justice. We were criminals. We're getting punished for our crimes. We deserve it. This man has done nothing to deserve what he's getting. So we have to even think about that. Not only does God not give us what we deserve, but Jesus Christ took upon himself what we deserved, and he took that for us. That's the good news. And that should be something that drives us to worship every day. And then, if you go back to Psalm 103, and then we'll go back to Revelation. Psalm 103. I'm just going to begin reading in verse 8. This is a great passage through verse 14. In fact, I'd encourage you to memorize it, underline it, meditate on it. 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. He is patient and demonstrates a great loyal love. He does not always accuse. He does not stay angry. He does not deal with us as our sins, what? Deserve. He does not repay us as our misdeeds deserve. For as the skies are high above the earth, so His loyal love towers over His faithful followers. As far as the eastern horizon is from the west, so He removes the guilt of our rebellious actions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on his faithful followers. For he knows we are made what we are made of. He realizes we are made of clay. What great verses. See, the sad truth is that what these folks are experiencing in Revelation is so needless. At any point, if they would have just turned to God in repentance and cried out to God to save them, instead of having His wrath poured out, they would have experienced His love. Instead of 
getting what they deserve, they'd be getting what they don't deserve. Back to Revelation 16. Then I heard, verse 7, the altar reply, or a voice, obviously, from the altar. Say, yes, Lord God, the all-powerful. Your judgments are true and just. Once again, reminding us that what God is doing here is right. It is just. It is according to the divine standard that is unchanging. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was permitted to scorch people with fire. Thus people were scorched by the terrible heat. Yet notice, instead of turning to God, they blasphemed the name of God. They slandered. They reviled the name of God who has ruling authority over these plagues. In other words, they even know who's in control. And that he could shut it off. But their hearts are so hard, instead of turning to God, they blaspheme his name. And they would not repent. And notice, give him glory. They would not. They refused to worship him. They refused to properly acknowledge him for who he is and honor him. And part of it goes back to the fact that they are unwilling to be moved no matter what God does. See, it it, it totally argues in the face of those today. Say, well, if God would just be more active, if God would just bring judgment, if God would do this and that, you know, people would just, you know, they'd flock to God. No, they won't. No. Because just like Jesus said, if they won't listen to the Word of God then they won't believe even if God sent somebody back from the dead. Because the Word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the biting asunder of soul and spirit, even getting into the joints and marrow of the bone. If they won't respond to the supernatural power of God's Word, then they won't respond to any miracle, any sign, any judgment. They cannot be moved. Now, I want to say this. Worship. And those who worship God need to be able to be moved by God. That's that's part of being a worshiper. Is when God can move us. When, when, When He can speak into our lives... When, when we don't suppress the truth as we talked about on Sunday, and when we allow the full force of God to just come in and move us. And I don't mean even in a physical way, but maybe even in an emotional way and in a spiritual way. And I'm even talking about in a volitional way. In other words, dealing with our will. Where we, we have our, our will broken And we surrender to God's will. That's being moved by God, you see. And when people become so stiff-necked, as the Bible says, and and hard-hearted and cannot be moved, they can end up like this, like these people are one day. That no matter what is happening, as horrific as it is, inside, 
They are so hard-hearted that they cannot be moved. May we always strive to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. May we always strive to be in a place where God can move us and where we can be touched and moved by Him and by His Spirit and by His Word. Then the fifth angel, verse 10, poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast so that darkness covered his kingdom and people began to bite their tongues because of their pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their sufferings and because of their sores. But nevertheless, they still refused to repent of their deeds. No movement. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates dried up its water to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Literally, the kings of the rising of the sun. There's coming a great battle that we're going to get to in a couple weeks, but John is sort of giving us a short preview of this battle here in Revelation 16. Then I saw three unclean spirits that looked like frogs. I don't know what anybody has against frogs, but he's just saying, hey, these demonic spirits look like frogs to me. Some of you might think frogs are cute. I don't know. Coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the mouth of the beast, and the mouth of the false prophet. In other words, don't miss what's happening here. These demonic spirits are empowering, energizing, and giving words to the satanic trinity. A lot of propaganda and misinformation is going to be spread during the tribulation period. And it's all being produced by satanic spirits. And again, it reminds us that what is in someone's heart or not in their heart is going to come out of their mouth. And these folks obviously uh, are open to letting demonic spirits control their mind and heart so that what comes out of their mouth is obviously blasphemous. Again, going back to us. In contrast, God gives us a mouth and a voice and and the privilege to be able to speak for Him, to speak life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. To be able to encourage, to comfort, to exhort, to share Jesus Christ and the gospel with people who don't know Him. To sing to Him, to shout to Him, to praise Him. And it's all, it all needs to be obviously energized and empowered by the Spirit of God rather than demonic spirits. And so again, we see the contrast between those who have chosen to worship the beast and those of us who are choosing to use our mouth to worship the one true God. For they are the spirits, verse 14, of the demons performing signs who go out to the kings, the political leaders of the earth, to bring them together for the battle that will take place on the great day of God, the all-powerful. Look, God says, I will come like a thief, meaning I'm going to come unexpectedly. Blessed is the one who stays alert and does not lose his clothes so that he will have to walk around naked and his shameful condition be seen. Now remember, in context, obviously God is speaking to those now who have come to believe in him during the tribulation period. The church is already gone. 
So this has nothing to do with us. We're already in heaven. But the principle is still the same because he basically shares these same words with us who are alive before the rapture. And the principle is simply this. Stay spiritually vigilant, watchful, awake. Keep praying, keep growing spiritually. And he talks about these clothes or these garments. And he says, make sure that you have the garments on. And I think what he's simply reminding us of is that God has given us, in a sense, spiritual garments to wear. Paul talks about in Romans 13, 14, putting on the Lord Jesus every day and not making provision for the flesh. And Paul talks in Ephesians 6 about, as Christians, we should put on the full armor of God every day so that we can stand against the wild of the devil. And the Bible talks about us adorning ourselves with the fruit of the Spirit. And so there are these garments, if you will, that reflect the nature and character of God that we can put on, in a sense, every day, and that we should be walking around so that we are not found naked. The word simply means ill-clad, exposed, not, not ready for what's coming. In a sense, again, think of this great illustration out of the word of Peter. When Jesus told him that night that he was betrayed, Peter, watch and pray. Temptation's coming. No, God, I've got this. And then he denies the Lord because he was ill-clad. He was ill-prepared for what was coming. And so Jesus is simply saying to the tribulation saints, and really in principle to all of us, no matter when we are alive, to make sure that we are always spiritually prepared and and that we have clothed ourselves in in his garments and that we're not clothed in the garments we've made or that we obviously are naked and even go back to Adam and Eve when they sinned and became aware of their nakedness what did they try to do they tried to come up with clothes that they made and they weren't fitting they weren't going to cut it God had to make clothes for them that was fitting. You see. And I think that's what the Lord is saying here. Make sure you put your spiritual clothes on every day and be ready for what is about to happen. And when we do that, folks, we will become worshipers. Automatically. Because we're being filled with the Spirit. We're putting on the Lord Jesus. We're having the fruit of the Spirit. We're putting on the armor of God to stand against spiritual attack. Even in that every day of being conscious of putting on our spiritual garments, that is an act of worship because that is saying to God, God, I need you. I must depend upon you. I cannot walk through this day in my garments. I must walk through this day in the garments you have provided for me. That's an act of worship. That is an acknowledgement and that's a, a... a humbling of saying before God, I, I, I need your garments. I need you, God. And so the spirits, verse 16, gathered the kings and their armies to the place that is called Armageddon in the Hebrew. The hills of Megiddo where armies of the world will be cut down. Many battles throughout history have been fought in this valley. And one day there will be one final battle at least during the tribulation period, the battle called Armageddon. Let's wrap this up. Finally, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it's done. 
Then there were flashes of lightning, roaring, crashes of thunder, and there was a tremendous earthquake, an earthquake unequaled since humanity has been on the earth. So tremendous was that earthquake. The great city that I believe is Jerusalem was split split into three parts. The cities of the nations collapsed. Think about that. All these great cities. So Babylon, we're going to get to that next week. We're going to talk about Babylon and why does the Bible talk so much about Babylon and what is the significance of Babylon. We're going to get to that next week, but I just want to mention it here, obviously. So Babylon the Great was remembered before God and was given what fitted the wine, this cup that was fitted with the wine made of God's furious wrath. Notice verse 20, every island fled away, literally vanished. No mountains could be observed or found. God's already beginning to remake this earth for the millennial kingdom. Gigantic hailstones weighing about 100 pounds each fell out of heaven on people. And again, they were not moved. They blasphemed God because of the plague of hail since it was so horrendous. Last point. Notice the shaking going on here. Greatest earthquake in history. Islands are moving. Mountains are not found anymore. I mean, it's a tremendous shaking that the writer of Hebrews talks about. And again, we go back to this mindset and focus on worship. And the writer of Hebrews says, one day this great shaking is going to happen. And God is going to remove things that can be shaken and replace them with things that cannot be shaken. And the author of Hebrews says, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us worship God. Because folks, though we live in a very unstable world that will not last, we know a God who's eternal and we know that what we are connected with and what we are all about and what we are focused on are the things that cannot be moved, that will not collapse, that will be stable even throughout eternity. And what a difference that makes as we live our lives. To know that this isn't it and that all that I'm pouring my life and energy and all of that into is just one day going to be gone or going to be passed on to somebody else who Proverbs says didn't even probably work for it. And what you and I are working for is hopefully laying up treasure in heaven. And that Peter writes that our inheritance that awaits us is incorruptible, undefiled, tucked away in heaven, reserved in heaven for each of us. And it cannot collapse. It cannot be contaminated. It cannot decay. It cannot be ruined. It's going to be with us for all of eternity. Because we built our house and our lives on the rock of Jesus Christ. And when He begins to shake this world one final time, all that is not in line with His nature will crumble. Only what is of Christ will last. And so Jesus is saying to His worshipers tonight, keep building your lives on that which cannot be shaken. And remember every day
that you're getting what you don't deserve and you're not getting what you do deserve. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You love us so much. You've done so much for us. Lord, if you never did one more good thing for each of us for the rest of eternity, it would be so much more than enough. And yet, by your very nature, God, you cannot be outgiven. You're so gracious and generous that you just keep on giving good things to those who love you. And God, I pray tonight that as we leave this place, that we would all leave knowing just how much we are loved by you. That we would know just how blessed and favored we are to have so much in our life that we never deserve. And to not get into our lives what we really do deserve. For those of us who know Christ as our Savior, we'll never have to go through judgment for our sin. Jesus, the one who did nothing wrong, the one who didn't deserve to die on that cross, went to that cross to die in our place. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my punishment on yourself. God, I pray tonight that we would leave here as your worshipers, focusing on the things of greater worth and value than that which one day will collapse and be gone. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks for being here. Have a great week and look forward to Sunday.